Welcome in to another edition of Region Roundup. I'm James Boyd here with the ever-busy Mike Clark. Um, I don't think we ever have uh, light days, Mike. It's, it's pretty crazy, but we, we enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. I'm, I'm actually sitting here in my car. Um, I just pulled over at a park uh, so I could have hopefully a little bit of quiet here in the before I head out to do another interview. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, supposedly, you know, the spring is not as crazy as football or basketball season, although, of course, it is still football season in Illinois because it's a pandemic year. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. We'll get to that, you know. Uh, recruiting is kind of heating up again because uh, it was shut down for so long. Uh, schools are kind of getting lined up with their coaching staffs for next year again something else we'll be talking about but yeah it's uh you know there really isn't any downtime um especially you know we were down for months and months and months last year but now things are coming back to life and uh you know i know we've talked about this offline before but i mean it's it's what we do you know and we're thrilled to be able to talk about um things actually happening whether they're on the field or uh, you know coaching hires recruiting stuff like that because that's what we're here for and you know and, and we talked about this a lot during you know the last year you know is you know we had to be a little bit more creative to find stuff to write about <laughs> we did um but you know it feels more in the flow to be doing what we're doing now so yes. with that all being said um, we do start off with recruiting, and uh, one of your favorite players to watch, I know, yes. because we've talked about this an awful lot, um, and uh, I didn't get a chance to see Hammond High, but, uh, you know, I love, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Reggie Abrams' personality definitely came through in your stories, um, you know, an undersized kid, uh you know, with a massive heart, uh, his heart was bigger than he was clearly, um, you know, led Hammond high to, uh, you know, a really tremendous run. And now he's going to get a chance to play D one basketball, um, and prove some more doubters wrong. I guess he was, he's been proving doubters wrong, you know, the last few years, obviously at Hammond, but a great opportunity for him. Yeah. So he's committed to incarnate ward, a, a word as a preferred walk on, um, for those of you who really follow region basketball, you'll know that Carson Cunningham, the former Andrean standout who uh, played at Oregon State and Purdue, he's their head coach. Um, and from what I gathered from uh, Hammond coach Larry Moore Jr., um, Carson was pretty interested in the program in general because they were playing so well over the last three, four years. And uh, he always kept like a, uh, you know an eye on Reggie. And then he finally, I guess, pulled the trigger and gave the kid a chance to earn his way or play his way into a scholarship. Um, Reggie did tell me if things were normal, you know, who knows if he comes in as a, as a scholarship kid right away. But as we alluded to um, just a few seconds ago, um, the recruiting world and the sports world is kind of in a flux right now. Um, it's kind of in limbo. A lot of kids in the transfer portal, um, a lot of kids who might be able to come back, you know, another year if they want to because of COVID-19. So um, all that being said for this five foot nine generously five foot nine guard um to have a chance to play at, you know at the highest level of college basketball that's that's really something and i think it 
it's really cool how the region ties played a factor into it. Um, Larry Moore played AU basketball with Carson Cunningham, and the two of them have been pretty close ever since. And that's what kind of uh, paved the way for Reggie to have a chance to play in college. Um, and one of the interesting things about it, you'll, you know, story's already up. If you all check it out, is you know Reggie went down with an ankle injury in their regular season finale. His recruiting basically ceased to exist after that. Um, and Incarnate Word was the only one that stuck around, which was kind of surprising to me. Like when I asked him, I said, you know, I wasn't asking like what Division One schools are interested in you. I was like, hey, what schools were interested in you in general? And he kind of hesitated. He was like, man, really none of them. And I was like, wow, like that, that kind of surprised me because I figured, you know, uh, NAIA Division Two, Division Three might have given him a chance. Um, but either way, I'm glad that this has a happier ending um, because it was really sad to see him go down. I was there when he got hurt against Valpo on February 26th. And to me, that that basically derailed what, what possibly could have been, um, you know, a state title run for Hammond. I mean, he was their starting point guard the last four years. Um, in my opinion, the when he was healthy, arguably the best and most impactful guard in the region alongside Kamari Peterson from Westside, who Reggie outplayed, um, you know, when they played earlier this year. Um, people can you know, argue about that whenever they want, who's better. I'm not here to really say that. I'm just saying that the kid showed up in a big game against Westside and uh, took it to him. So all that to say, I'm excited for him, happy for him. Told him I got to get an Incarnate Word shirt pretty soon here so I can uh, rep him all the way here, you know, in the Midwest as he goes down to San Antonio. But um, And also just from a, a personality standpoint, he's a really good kid with a really good head on his shoulders. Um, so I have no doubt about him staying out of trouble and doing what he's supposed to do as far as just off the court stuff. So it's just hoping that he gets a chance to prove himself on the court because I know if he gets a chance, he'll do everything he can to do so. And um, yeah, I really encourage you to read that story. I talked to his mom who uh, told me that all of his toughness comes from her. So uh, yeah, I enjoyed talking to her. And Mike, it was funny when I was doing the story, I was talking to him. I was like, hey, you know what? Can I talk to your mom? Because I've done a ton of stories on Reggie. I've talked to, you know, a lot of different coaches on their staff beyond Larry Moore. Um, his, actually, his older cousin, Aaron, is on staff. So I talked to him for a story earlier. And, you know, I, I, I've interviewed so many people that surround Reggie. And I was like, you know what, man? Can I talk to your mom? You know, and she uh, she was down to the interview. And it was one of the most fun interviews I've done in a while just because uh, she's got that personality. You kind of see where Reggie gets his personality from, too. So um, she said she was really proud of him. And she told me that his dad, who passed away when Reggie was six, uh, will, will be proud as well. So it's really just a big moment. And she was telling me she's just happy for him and excited to, uh, you know, for her her only son, you know, to, to get a chance to do what he loves. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I know, uh, you know, I know that uh, you have a special place for, uh, you know, for kids uh, you know, who are close to their moms. So, you there know, you that's, uh, <laughs> that was... Uh, Gotta talk to mom every rally. now and then, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also related to recruiting, um, we have two guys who uh, are kind of putting things on hold for a year. Krishan uh, Christmas and Harold Wood of Krishan Christmas of Westside, Harold Woods of Hammond are staying closer to home um, at Don Bosco Prep, which is, uh, as folks may know, is a post-secondary school um, in the region, and they've helped a lot of kids in the past. And, 
this is really important this year because just there just aren't as many opportunities out there uh and uh it's a, it's a chance for them to play at a pretty high level uh you know they play a kind of a mix of schools they play like other uh post-grad schools they play some colleges and stuff too some jvs and uh juco's and stuff like that but uh it's a good opportunity for them to uh keep working on their game and hopefully the recruiting environment improves for them in another year yeah i mean i i think that it was uh worth writing about simply because these two guys in particular i know they probably have some other region guys who are going there these two guys I know had Division One scholarships on the table and could have taken them, but they decided to uh, basically, like you said, use one more year for prep and wait for college basketball to kind of you know get more settled. It'll still be a little weird over this next four year cycle because of having the ability to come back for another year uh, because of COVID. So it won't be you know the same you know as it was in you know in years past, at least for the foreseeable future, but. I can't imagine that, you know, next year, hopefully, when we, you know, a lot of people are vaccinated and this is kind of, you know, uh, a thing of the past, then you'll see more like, you know, regular basketball movement because there's a, you know, there's thousands of kids in the transfer portal. Um, you know, Krishan was telling me, you know, coaches are obviously moving around as well. And uh, they just want to make sure that when they get the chance to play college basketball, they're going somewhere Will they have a chance to kind of have some stability and some, and some structure and things like that? So, um, you know, no knock on those guys. And I think it's, again, you know, and Krishan said it best, your path is your path. If you're good enough to play, you know, at, you know, a new – I mean, if you're good enough to play at a high level, you, you'll get there. I mean, they, they, they like, people get paid a lot of money to find kids who can play, you know, at the Division One level, which both those kids are capable of. And who knows? I mean, you go to Bosco – and you play well for a year and, and get better and expand your skill set, you might even end up with more offers on the table after that. They have a good reputation over there of uh, prepping kids and basically sending them off to, you know, Division ones. I know that they've had a reputation for that, and for, and at least in the few years that I've been here. And um, I look forward to whatever the future holds for those two. Very humble kids. Um, I told Harold Woods, uh, Mike, he doesn't smile ever. He's like the most <laughs> like laid-back player ever. And I told unlike, him, I like, I like, unlike Reggie, obviously. Yeah, Reggie's like, you know, like you see everything on his face. And then Harold's like, you know, if he's up 20 or down 20. Um, and I told him, I was like, you know what, man? I said, you don't smile much. But when you, you know, ball at this next year at Bosco and you go to Division One, can you smile for me then? And uh, he laughed. <laughs> and, you know, I'm looking forward to just seeing what's next for those guys. I mean, they're, they're, they're two um, really good players. And like I said, had a chance to go to Division One, you know, right away. But decided to you know hit that pause button and you know I can't criticize somebody for trying to make sure their their path is best for them. So there you go. Absolutely, and uh, just a real quick uh, note: um, no Indiana boys all stars for us this year. Also, no uh, first, second, or third team AP all staters, which not a super surprise, I don't think. Um, you know, it's in a normal year, it's tough to kind of break through in the region. Uh, to get some statewide recognition and uh, there were a lot of really good players and we just talked about a few of them um, you know not quite like uh, there is on a girl's side you know where you've got you know just some folks like uh, Jessica Carruthers obviously you know who's a junior all-star on the mm-hmm. girls side actually we've got you know we've got junior all-stars obviously but you know and nothing against this class but I mean it just was kind of a 
a strange year in terms of getting uh, attention and everything like that too. And a lot of it does come down to college attention. And if you don't have the college attention, then that's something that you're probably not going to see necessarily um, play out in these postseason awards. And again, it's just, you know, the kids, you know, went out played, they had a full season, you know, for the most part, you know, there were a few pauses, I guess, but, you know, mostly a full season, you know, but it's, it's just, you know, that's, the way it played out this year and again nothing against the senior class you know because they went through a lot <laughs> over their last two years of high school obviously yeah so. um i caught some heat on twitter because i said uh i thought west side's kramari peterson was the only guy from the region who had an outside chance to make the team and i think he took that as disrespect but it's not uh, i wasn't taking a shot at any kids i know one of the names that was brought up was chris Fermantis who is an all-star caliber player um but one thing i was just saying was I thought that Kamari had like the best chance to do it. I don't. I didn't. I didn't see two kids getting in from the region. If I had to pick one, I thought it was him because of simply put, in my opinion, the exposure. Mike. I mean, Westside played a really tough schedule all year. Um, they made it to a semi-state, and you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that they, if they go to state, does he get you know the 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 all-star nod just from playing on that stage? You never know. So. It wasn't a slight towards any players or anything like that. Um, every year there are snubs, but I don't think – I think that the snub thing kind of gets overused, in my opinion. I mean, like you said, on the girls' side, we had two Indiana All-Stars, Courtney Blake, who led the state in scoring, um, and Trinity Thompson, who was the double-double machine. Um, and like you said, we also had junior All-Stars on the girls' side, who Justin Carruthers and Lily Stoddard. And on the boys' side, this year we had a junior all-star in Jalen Washington. So um, I, I looked at the, the list of players. I believe there were 14. And they all, you know, were deserving. So, I mean, there's always going to be every year some players you think should be on there, shouldn't be on there, whatever. But the bottom line is that list is out, and that's that's the end of it. I mean, I have no say-so in who gets picked for these teams. I, you know, I have people tell me, like, oh, man, don't. You know, it's not like I'm here to root for any kids or root against any kids. And again, I say this when I go cover games, Mike. I, you know, it, yes, it would be nice to cover teams that win or win the state championship or you know win a big game. But I can't say that the other team doesn't deserve it. You know, just as much. So it is what it is at this point. I mean, every year you're going to have people that are upset about this list, but that's just what it is. I have no control over who gets picked, and um. Yeah, I just enjoyed kind of going through the picks myself and seeing who they selected, and that was that. I mean, all those guys are deserving, and that takes nothing away from the careers that we saw here in the region, um, particularly for Mantis and, and Peterson over the last four years. For sure, and uh, now we switch a little bit to uh, some early spring action, and uh, a lot of perfect games in the air. we got uh, three uh pitchers two softball well, actually four three softball and one baseball uh which is kind of crazy so earlier in the season uh, what's really crazy is that like central had two different pitchers throw perfect games on the same day so that was uh something that you <laughs> i don't know that i can ever remember hearing anything like that yeah that was that was crazy i mean and so that story was crazy we had uh amanda our demo i hope i'm saying that correctly she uh, threw the first perfect game of the day against Mishawaka um, this last Saturday uh, during the Lake Central Classic. It was a three-game slate. 
So she threw the first one in the first game, and like it was like ten oh five inning uh, win, and uh, she also hit home run in that game, so she was really on top of her game. And then uh, in the third game, we had Peyton Pepkowski, who's a Loyola recruit. She uh, threw a perfect game, and it was a one nothing win over Franklin Central, which was probably like Central's toughest one of the season. They're eleven and zero. But um, that win in particular was like their closest game. I mean, the other ones are usually beating teams pretty easily. Um, but yeah, that was uh, she pitched the gym. They need they needed it obviously because they only won. I mean, you won one nothing. So uh, I asked both of them whose perfect game was better, and they wouldn't tell me. Um, <laughs> and it was it was it was it was in good uh, you know just all in fun. I didn't expect a real answer. Um, but it was, I told them and I asked them about this and they were telling me how, uh, amazing it is to be a part of a team that's so talented where you're really being pushed, uh, to compete every day, even in practice. I mean, you know, Peyton Pepkowski is their ace, but at the same time, it's not like she's just the only great player on their team. They have a couple other division one recruits and obviously they're, you know, I think they're ranked number two in the state right now. They're ranked, I think, nationally in the max preps poll. So they're, um, you know, they're a really good team. So uh, I'm excited to see what's next for them. I know that this spring uh, has been off to a great start for that team, and, and they have high aspirations. But to have two perfect games in one day was insane. I was like, wait, what? And then uh, an even crazier story, Mike, is the Kankakee Valley girl, Mary Kate Schultz, she threw a perfect game. Um, which is believed to be the second one in her program history. She threw this one against Andrean last week. And what's crazy about it is this is her first time playing for her school since she was a freshman. Um, her sophomore, you know, last year was canceled due to COVID-19, which is her junior year. And her sophomore year, she actually had a broken back and was out for the entire year. And when I asked her how she broke her back, she told me she didn't know. You know, she just thought she had, you know, just regular muscle tightness and soreness and then, you know, she was misdiagnosed by doctors and then I guess finally had some tests done and x-rays and things like that. And, and it revealed that she had a back fracture. So she was out for her entire sophomore season. So she was uh, really excited, obviously, to throw a perfect game. But it meant a lot more to her personally just because of everything she's kind of gone through in the last two years. I mean, to lose a year because of COVID and lose a year because of what you thought was just, you know, some back pain. Uh, it turns out to be a fractured back was crazy. So... That was a that was a fun story to write. Now I actually had a separate story on that one, just because of everything she had gone through. And the cool thing about that too is Amanda Suarez, who is her coach, uh, she played at Hanover Central when they won the state championship in two thousand four, and uh, she actually threw a perfect game in the in the state championship. So uh, you got a coach who threw a perfect game, and, and now she's coaching a kid who threw a perfect game, um, which was a uh, which was cool. And uh, to round out the perfect games, uh, Holbrook baseballs. You know, Gavin Gallagher threw a five-inning uh, mercy rule perfect game against Westfield, uh, Westville about two weeks ago. And, Mike, the cool thing about that is he didn't know <laughs> about it. Because I was like, hey, man, did you know you were, you know, perfect? And he's like, no, I didn't. He was like, actually, I was done pitching. And then we were we needed two more runs to win. And that's when my coach told me uh, I had a perfect game going. And he was like, yeah, I was pretty you know, happy that my team got the two more runs that we needed to, to win on a mercy rule, so I didn't have to go back out there. Otherwise, I would have been nervous. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the other pitchers I talked to on the girls' side for softball, they were telling me they knew that, that they had a, something brewing or they were kind of aware that they had a really good game going, and he just really did not know. 
at all. Uh, so that was uh, that was cool. His is believed to be the first one in program history. I believe he had 12 strikeouts that day, so he was dealing. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just I think the headline we had for print was like Perfect Storms or something like that, and it's pretty crazy to have that amount, especially considering that we didn't play at all last year. So, um, obviously, things are back in full swing, and it's, it's really cool to see these kids accomplish these things and to get a chance to write about these unique accomplishments because, I mean, that's every pitcher's dream is to a perfect game. I mean, we're not talking about no hitters. We're talking about perfect games, which is uh, which is crazy to me. So, um, I enjoy writing about that, reaching out to those kids, and, and obviously, um, I told them you'll be famous for a day when I write about you, and they appreciated that. So, that was cool. I mean, you, 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 you never know what's going to happen. Like I said, I, I reached out to the... Kankakee Valley pitcher, uh, MK as they call her, Mary Kate. And uh, at the end of her interview, Mike, she told me, yeah, this is really cool because, you know, a couple years ago I had a broken back. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, this interview just got a little bit longer. Uh, can you explain right. what that means? And, uh, yeah, so right. I had a good time putting those stories together. And uh, as we said earlier, um, it's also the time when co- uh, schools are putting their coaching staffs together. So we've got a bunch of new uh, – hires that you can maybe run down real quick for us here too yes wheeler has a new football coach robert kanaya he's a longtime region assistant coach he's coming over from chesterton to lead the wheeler program he was also an assistant at wheeler uh a while back so he's familiar with the school he's actually a science teacher at the school he's been there for the last four years teaching science so he's got a chance to finally coach and teach at his at the same school um so he takes over for adam hudak who resigned Earlier this year, um, and then we also have River Forest, who hired a new football coach, Dimitri Blanco. He was a star quarterback at Andran, and he spent the last few years under Phil Mason at Michigan City. Um, he replaces Joe O'Connell, who went over to Crown Point with Craig Buzia, who was recently hired there. Um, and then a surprise thing that I kind of woke up to, shout out to Bo Patton for this, uh, the Maryville Boys basketball coach, he texted me and said, hey, my little sister got a job. Uh, as the Highland girls basketball coach taught her everything she knows don't know how true that is but um yeah so his uh, little sister Darian uh Strotter who played at Maryville and was also an assistant coach at Maryville the last four years she took over at Highland for Chris Thompson who uh just texted me now during this during this interview because I reached out to him earlier about this whole coaching change and he told me that he actually resigned from Highland at the end of the season he wasn't forced out no ill will anything like that so those are the three coaching hires that I have uh, coming. The Wheeler story is already out. The story on the River Forest football coach and the new Highland Girls basketball coach will be out later today, which is April 21st, Wednesday. And, um, yeah, with that, also talking about what I've been doing. And, Mike, you can talk about what you've been doing over there and, uh, you know, our home state. All right. Um, so this is week six of football, which means it's also the last week of the football season, no playoffs in Illinois. Um, and uh, it's so last week was rivalry week for District 215 uh, for the wooden shoe slash mushroom trophy. Um, and that's what the trophy has it's got a wooden shoe and a mushroom on it. And it's kind of a throwback to the origins of uh, Lansing and Cal City. Um, it's always a big game. This game was at TF North. I was there last Saturday afternoon. Uh, TF South won the game, twenty-five to nothing, and uh, TF South is now four and one. TF North is one and three. 
they missed the game because of being in COVID protocols, not of their own doing, but because uh, a ref of a game they had played the week before tested positive and because of contact tracing, they were out. But uh, uh, it's I've been to a lot of these games over the years, and I, it's kind of interesting because my career at the time just kind of come full circle some folks who may be listening may remember i came to the times for the first time in 1988 and at that time i was covering a lot of tf north tf south games hadn't seen one for probably more than a dozen years well i know it was more than a dozen years because um i left in 2007 before coming back in 2019 so i missed a lot of these games but um you know it, it always brings out uh and even this year, it brought out a decent crowd. Um, not quite as big a crowd as you would normally expect because of COVID protocols and everything. But uh, South's playing pretty well right now. Uh, they have one. Both teams have one more game left. But uh, a little bit more related news. Um, one of the people that I saw when I got there uh, a little bit before the game uh, was Jerry Munda, who. Uh, well, maybe some of the old timers who may be listening to this will remember Jerry Munda was uh, a grad of Thornton Fractional High School. Uh, the school split into two in the late fifties. He, he graduated in nineteen fifty six from Thornton Fractional. He was their baseball coach at TF North, which was the original school. Basically, TF South was the new school. Uh, he was the baseball coach there from sixty eight to two thousand and one. He was also the football coach from 83 to 93, um, and uh, it was just great talking to him. I mean, he's, he's 84 years old, and James, if you and I look as good as he does at 84, then we'd be <laughs> in, in, in pretty good shape. Um, but I also, it, it was interesting, too, because I, I actually talked to Jerry a couple of days before um, Don Hakes passed away actually well we talked about i wrote two obituaries last week um, mm-hmm. i don't think we chatted about those because of the one the timing of the podcast but bill brick who was uh, one of the most respected baseball scouts in the country he worked for about 40 years uh, actually maybe even a little bit longer than that for various teams the pirates the padres the d-backs at the time of his death um he was the Special assistant to the general manager of the Diamondbacks, um, you know, helped a lot of kids uh, in their baseball careers over the years. Uh, you know, he was this high-level scout, but he would also he ran clinics in the area for years. Um, and we've got a lot of photos in our archives of him, you know, showing kids how to hit or how to pitch and everything. So that was one. And then Don Hakes. Uh, who was a uh, dean at TF North for more than 30 years, also was a high-level NFL official. He worked three Super Bowls, worked 21 NFL playoff games total. And, uh, you know, I remember him um, not not even so much for the football side, but he was also a basketball official, and he did a lot of high-level games around the south suburbs uh, over the years. So, And he and Jerry Munda had worked together, which is – me kind of circling back to how this whole little tangent started but uh, jerry was able to tell me a few stories about don which was uh, kind of cool and those stories are up on our website i uh, shared them on twitter to don hake's obituary and bill brick's obituary um so uh we are switching also to spring sports actually they're going on at the same time uh as the end of quote-unquote fall sports um like i said football ends this week 
baseball is underway actually um and uh so yeah i'm kind of uh all over the place with that stuff but uh kind of normal uh this year in this most uh unusual year uh one other thing to note uh south suburban college is playing at the njca division two national tournament uh down in danville illinois right now they lost their opener and it's actually a, a double elimination tournament um you know, partly because they don't want to bring in teams from all over the country and say one and done, you know, so they give teams a chance to play a few games because this is also a big recruiting tool, as you would imagine, especially in this year. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 in any year it is, but it's a chance for, uh, you know, some of the top Juco players in the country to get a chance to show themselves. And, uh, you know, a lot of college D1 and D2, D3 AI coaches uh, keep an eye on this. But, uh, I wrote up last week about DeShondre Washington, uh, who was a state champ at Morgan Park in high school. and kind of an interesting career. He played one game uh, at Robert Morris out in Pittsburgh, came back home because he had some family tragedies. Uh, two of his uncles and his little sister all passed away, and he felt it was best for him to be close to his family. He came back. He's probably going to be the Division II Player of the Year in, in one junior colleges. He's leading the nation in scoring, tied for the lead in rebounding. Um, but Chance Love is the player I wrote about this week. And uh, again, the old timers out there, he is the son of Bob Love, who was uh, one of the most beloved players in Bulls history. James, your dad probably uh, could tell you a little bit about Bob Love. Um, he played in the 60s and 70s. When he retired, he was the leading scorer in Bulls franchise history. Well, we know that that doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah, I have no <laughs> idea who uh, holds the record now. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so um, it's a cool story. And, of course, we talked about that. And, uh, you know, Chance Love is, is pretty at ease with his legacy. You know, I mean, he said everywhere he goes, um, people, uh, people talk about it. You know, and his dad, again, um, you know, was a great player for the Bulls and probably their first big star. Him and Chet Walker were the first two big stars because the Bulls were, you know, for those who may not know, they were an expansion franchise in the late 60s. Um, and uh, him and Chet Walker were kind of the two guys that, you know, uh, made basketball come alive. It's, it's kind of a strange thing to think about, but in my lifetime, um, you know, pro basketball took a long time to take hold in Chicago. And when you think about where it is now um, and where it was in the 80s and 90s, you know, it's kind of strange to think about that. But that's the way it was. I mean, there were a bunch of failed teams, you know, that came and went. And nobody really could make it work. It was very much a college basketball town with DePaul and Loyola, you know. Uh, but then the Bulls came along. People like Bob Love uh, made them a big deal. And again, uh, so now his son is uh, kind of making a niche for himself, which is, uh, you know, kind of a cool story. Um, so I do have, uh, I'm just looking at our list here real quick. I, do, I did uh, have another cool story last Friday. I went out to uh, Roosevelt Park, which is uh, immediately north of the now closed Roosevelt High School. And it is... Uh, uh, there, well, there are several little league fields there, but U.S. Steel and the Railcats got together for a cleanup day at Roosevelt Park, and they took a little league field that is that had been kind of 
I don't know, uh, over the pandemic year, it wasn't used at all last year. They didn't play there, and it showed. Um, they, the Railcats groundskeeper actually tore out the infield, um, took three inches of uh, dirt and grass off, and they put uh, down a an infield, what they call limestone screenings. And you've seen these at uh, different parks and stuff. Basically, it's a low-maintenance material, better than dirt or grass. Uh, water just pretty much soaks in or rolls off, uh, so you can play on it without with a minimum of maintenance. But uh, kids in Gary uh, have a brand-new field, essentially. Uh, they painted the... Painted the dugouts, you know, replaced some bad boards in the bleachers, um, you know, freshened up the press box, uh, pulled out weeds along the uh, the fence line in the outfield, and it's just tremendous what they've done. Uh, it's a great thing that the Railcats have done, and also U.S. Steel, which provided a lot of the manpower. There are about 60 people out there doing all sorts of stuff, um, and uh trying to get uh, youth baseball back for Gary. Um, and I wrote about it a little bit in the story. Um, it's the, the tough thing about youth baseball in Gary is just the, the geographical size of the city. Um, you know, think about it. It goes all the way from Klein Avenue, the Hammond, Hammond Gary line, all the way out to the Porter County line. Um, you know, it's just such a massive geographic area. It's hard to, uh, to bring kids together necessarily you know there there used to be a bunch of leagues in gary um and a lot of them have combined over the years now this is the cal calumet regional little league is what they're calling it now it's the combination of miller and gary metro and it also takes in a little bit of lake station and merrillville but um everybody's rooting for this to to work and to take roots um because much has been talked about, you know, how the game um, has been uh, kind of languishing, um, you know, among minority kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not there's not a lot of uh, African Americans who play baseball anymore. Um, you know, if you look at the rosters, there are certainly a lot of black players, but they're not necessarily Americans. Um, you know, they come from the Dominican. Um, you know, from different Caribbean nations and stuff like that. So, you know, trying to grow the game. Um, and there's some efforts that are paying off, too. There's a program that MLB has called the RBI program, Reviving Baseball in Inner Cities. That's what it's called. It's got a very strong program in Chicago. Um, and But there's also, you know, there's also definitely a space for Little Leagues, Cal Ripken, you know, some of the other organizations that are out there, um, and anyway, that was a cool story. I was really happy to do that, um, to put a, a little bit of a spotlight on people who are trying to, to grow the game. And uh, it feels like a good uh, segue to what we're going to talk about next, which is um, the intersection of uh, real life and sports. And uh, everybody who's listening to us knows that uh, the uh, – Derek Chauvin murder trial ended yesterday with three guilty verdicts for second degree murder, third degree murder, second degree manslaughter. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, uh, because it's a part of the world we live in. And again, that's always been part of our mission at the times, which is to, you know, put sports in its perspective as part of the world we live in. And with that, I will, 
Yeah, so I reshared my column that I wrote um, shortly after George Floyd was murdered um, almost a year ago. So uh, the way I see it, and a lot of people are are, are um, sharing how they feel about it, which is very fair, but I do want to make the point that there was a lot of voices that were used to, in my opinion, get this result. I don't know what, what, what happens if, you know, this wasn't recorded on video and people all around the world weren't marching. And uh, I want to make sure people know that including those people marching and protesting and speaking out, there were a lot of athletes that did so. And there were a lot of athletes that spoke out yesterday about what happened. Um, you know, the WNBA, in my opinion, is the league that pushes a lot of uh, societal issues to the forefront, including George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and other, you know, cases uh, like that. And um, I think that that ultimately, you know, decided the outcome of this of this trial. Um, I've been waiting to say this for a year um, because I guess it's official now, but to the people that keep saying like, you know, oh, this is justice. I, you know, if you view it that way, more power to you. But the way I see it, Mike, seriously, is that we all saw a black man get murdered by a white police officer, former police officer now, on camera. So to me, it's not really justice. It's not this you know, pat yourself on the back type of thing. It's what was supposed to happen. We saw a murder happen on camera. So we sent the murderer to jail. It's as simple as that. But I think a lot of people um, were just relieved with the outcome. I think the craziest part about it all was sitting there and waiting for it to happen and not knowing which way it could go. And people who tried to diminish that fact uh, you either are very just naive or you're just dismissive of the history of this country. I mean, you talk about, you can go back to Emmett Till. You can talk about, you know, uh, even more recently, Trayvon Martin. You can talk about the way these things kind of affect black people. So I think it was important to see black people and black athletes rally around what happened with George Floyd and ultimately get a chance to speak their mind about it. So I can go on for this stuff forever. People obviously agree, disagree. I personally don't care. Um, I think that the fact remains a murder took place. Um, the world saw it. And so that murderer went to prison. Do I feel sorry for him? Absolutely not. Um, I think that it's, it's, you had nine minutes to get off somebody's neck and you didn't do it. And um, that's on you, completely on you. No other people told you to do that. People were pleading for you to stop, and you did so anyway. So um, I won't lie. Personally, I felt vindicated sharing the, the article that I did again yesterday. Um, and I think that from a personal standpoint, it, it, it means something to me, and it means something to the kids that look like me. I just want them to know that hopefully – if these things happen to us, which I hope never happens again, but if it does, there's some type of accountability for that. So um, there's so many layers to it. I mean, you can go on and on about just dissecting all the things that took place, but the bottom line is 
uh, murder happened on camera for the world to see. And uh, in my opinion, the, the right action was handed down. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, uh, you know, I have some thoughts, too. And uh, I guess one of them is that, uh, you know, George Floyd was a, uh, a brother, uh, a boyfriend, uh, you know, a family member. And uh, he's gone for no reason. Uh, no reason you know the alleged offense of uh, attempting to pass the forged twenty dollar bill that's a misdemeanor you know it's it's a ticket basically mm-hmm. um, you know um, the fact that he winds up dead because of that I mean it's it's incomprehensible to me and I know that these things happen all the time um, you know we <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm a 16-year-old girl was shot and killed by Columbus police around the time of the murder, yeah. or, or the time of the verdict being announced, rather. I mean, this stuff happens all the time. And, uh, you know, again, I'm just thinking about George Floyd. You know, he was 47 years old. 47. Think about that. You know, if he lives his... Normal life expectancy, which in America right now is, I think, around 76 or 77. He had 30 more years, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't have those 30 years um, for, again, no good reason. Um, you know what I mean? And a lot, one of the things that's been shared a lot, I'm sure you've seen it, is the original police yes. news release, yes. which said that uh, there was a man who died because of a medical incident after a police interaction. If you're, you know, if you haven't seen it, go read it. Go read it. That's mm-hmm. what I would say to you because it was a complete lie. Um, the police lied about it, and somebody approved that. Now it wasn't. I don't know who wrote that release. Obviously, it wasn't you know an officer who was on the scene, but somebody somewhere in the Minneapolis Police Department wrote that lie and put it out there and if it wasn't for a 17 year old girl who videotaped it on her phone and put it out there almost immediately we would not have known about what really happened i mean we might have known what happened but it would have been a he said she said kind of a situation and you know how those go Mm -hmm. you know the authorities always win those but here you had incontrovertible video evidence of what happened you know and, not, and people calling on Derek Chauvin to stop yes George George Floyd saying I can't breathe I can't breathe 20 times 20 times and bystanders calling on him to stop and him pulling out mace and holding the crowd off you know and looking at them so I mean you know, this was this turned out to be the tipping point. I mean, you know, there have been so many others. You know, we talked about it. Uh, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, um, Trayvon Martin. You know, you know, there are all of these hashtags out there, and all of these cases that we've seen, and nothing has come of any of them until now. And I totally agree with you that. You know, this is not something for rejoicing. This is something for this is the way things, this is the way the system is supposed to work. Someone commits a serious crime, 
they're punished. They're, they're, you know, they're tried, convicted, punished for it. You know, that's the way it's supposed to work. And, you know, the concern that we saw um, from people who were more worried about, are there going to be protests? Are there going to be windows broken? You know, if the verdict goes the other way, which, first of all, how does it even go the other way? You know, but that's where we're at. You know, people thought the verdict could go the other way. You know, people thought in spite of all the evidence that maybe the jury would not convict Derek Chauvin. You know, and then, oh, what if we have people protesting and windows getting broken? You know, this is really what your concern is, you know? that there's property damage, you know, by the way, let's think about what happened in Washington on January 6th, too. So, um, you know, I mean, and we're, we're, you know, I guess we're getting a little bit uh, outside of what we would normally talk about, but I mean, this is what everybody's talking about. You know, again, our mission, which is to talk about sports in the context of the greater of the greater world out there. And as you've said, you know, the WNBA has said some, it's taken the lead in this. Um, you know, certainly some NBA players too. You know, there, there are players uh, in other leagues as well, but, uh, you know, uh, all we can hope for um, is that this is the beginning of a reckoning and that uh, Black and brown people don't get killed for no reason anymore. That's the bottom line, you know. Stop killing black and brown people for no reason. There you go. So I think that's a good message to end on. Um, you know, we'll be excited to come back next week with more news. Um, you know, spring season is a little crazy right now with snow and rain and other things. But uh, assuming that some games get played soon, we'll have more news for you soon. So just stay safe. Wear your mask and we'll talk to you soon.